Wow, that took forever to go live. Oh my goodness, there must be some kind of weird delay. Anyways, welcome everybody to another episode of Spilling Ink. We are the talk show that takes you behind the book to meet the authors and professionals in the publishing industry. And as you can see, we've got two familiar faces today visiting us. But before we introduce them, we gotta get the business out of the way. So let's talk about our sponsor who makes it possible for us to stream both on Facebook and YouTube at the same time. We love Joe Compton at Go Indie Now for this. Go Indie Now is the online indie artist network. They offer exciting new content weekly, monthly, and seasonally, all of which highlight, promote, and support indie artists of all kinds. So you can find them by going on to GoIndieNow.com, subscribing to their YouTube channel, or following them on Facebook. And remember this week, we are starting, actually is it this week? It is this week. Go Indie Now is, blah, blah. Go Indie Now is beginning its new fall season programming beginning September 6th. They have brand new videos posting every single day until Christmas. You do not want to miss this. So if you, if you haven't already, click like, click subscribe, go visit Go Indie Now, because remember, it's always time to go Indie Now. All right. I love that no. phrase. That like that catch. <laughs> I love this catch line. I love it. I know. It's <laughs> I love it too. I'm always like, I, I just, we were talking about this last night. We did the town hall last night and Katie was there, of course, but I was like, I get a thrill every time I get to say it. Like, <laughs> It's such a good line. It really is. All right. Well, now that we got the business over with, we'll do an, an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Derek, go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. I'm Derek Bourne, a Canadian author of a sci-fi series. It's a superhero sci-fi with some spy espionage stuff in there. It's called The Ultimate Agent. It goes from a couple of guys that uh, kind of have a bromance. And then as time goes on, they come across some mythical creatures like Bigfoot, Mothman, Loch Ness, Michigan Dogman, a Kraken, because why not, and a Minotaur. And now the finale is about to come out on September 29th. I am super excited. It's also breaking my heart. But the show must go on, and more projects have to come as well. More sci-fi coming your way. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, the show must go on. We'll have new shows to go on, right? Oh, yeah. We're not saying goodbye. We're just saying no. we're putting you aside for now because new things are about to come. Because i got to do dinosaurs because I have to. <laughs> No, I love that you have like a Michigan dog man uh, and the other stuff in there. I'm from Michigan, so I actually know oh. somebody who thinks they saw the Michigan dog man. Really? But, yeah, I actually know somebody who was like, they were like driving, like I think they were on their way up north, you know, because that's what we do in Michigan. You go on vacation, you go up north, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, they were on like one of those like state roads, not a highway, and something big walked across and they were like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was like, definitely they thought they were like oh. Michigan dog, man, like, <laughs> did it have a tail? <laughs> oh, I'll have, I'll have to ask him. I haven't talked to them in a little bit. But mm. I'll have to. Very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I see you're being nagged uh, to the dinos. I see what's promoted. I've there. got a fan. I've got a fan. She's one of my betas. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and introduce, let me see if I can point in the right direction, Julia. <laughs> Hi, I write as J.K. Allen, so um, I write primarily young adult urban fantasy, and I do like to dabble on other stuff, so like I'll write short stories and horror, 
pretend I'm Jay and write big scary monsters and stuff, but uh, I'm not as good <laughs> at horror. Um, but I actually have a book coming out on Thursday. It is a new series, so it's set in the same world as my first series, which is the Angel Born Universe. Um, so it's called Half-Blood Alliance. So we get a new generation of characters. We get to meet Bree, and I am in love with this book. I'm so excited for it to come out. So check out Half-Blood Alliance. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Awesome. And then there's this other guy over here. I, I don't know who he is. He just decided to pop in at the last minute. Hi. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, and, and since um, <clears throat> since I haven't been working at the vet's office and Abby is off to college, now Heather needs a, a, a new assistant for, for photography. So oh, I work with her when, when she's doing it. But but she's always working on Saturday nights, and I'm just looking at my watch, looking at my watch. I'm like, okay, okay, we got to wrap this up because I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the people show up 15 minutes late, so of course oh. that's uh, everything off. But, uh, that's but okay. you know, right. you're here. That's that's what matters. That's what matters. Yes. And, and you know, speaking of the Michigan Dog Man, back <laughs> back when I, I think Heather was probably in her early twenties when this when this happened, and and I didn't know her then, but I've heard the story a couple times. She was driving from Grand Rapids to Holland on a on a back road, and mm. about halfway here on this really kind of farmy area. She said that what looked like a small bear ran across the street in front of her, maybe a quarter mile up. You know, it wasn't a dog, it wasn't a cow, it wasn't any kind of domestic animal, too big to be any of those. But so now I'm thinking, could this have been the Michigan dog man? It, maybe, maybe. Because, yeah, like bears maybe. aren't in that area, right? Not, Generally not speaking. Really? I mean, we. We've yeah. had a couple sightings, but not back then. I mean, because she's like 60 mm -hmm. now, so that was like 40 years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how are you doing, Julia? I'm doing so good. I'm so good. happy to be on here with my friends. And yes, yes, yes. I miss you guys. And Derek, I heard that you're about to release a new uh, dinosaur book. Uh, the finale to the Ultimate Agent series is coming out. But the dinosaur book, I'm hoping early next year. Early? That's a long time away, my friend. I still have to finish writing it. So. Oh, all right. All right. That is not a early next year. I mean, it's already September. Oh, my well, gosh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it has, has killed our timeline. We don't know what time is anymore. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, right. I keep thinking like, it's still July or something. Is today Saturday? Yeah. It's Thursday. Yeah. Well, this, yeah, right. whole, this last six months has just been a really nasty black hole that I fell into. Mm. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Oh. Uh, but thank God. Better the, times ahead. Yes, hopefully. And the TP shortage is over. Yes. Uh, which, for those of us with IBS and other issues, it was a scary time. That was a it bad really time. It really was. My mom still, every time we go to the grocery store, she's like, are you going to pick up toilet paper? Like, just in case, you know, that, that it happens again. I remember I was actually with Jay in Holland uh, visiting yeah. w when that all happened. And, when it first started. And Heather was so mad because she's like, when we went to the store in the morning, there was, like, so much toilet paper. And then we went back to the store at, like, 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and it just wiped. It's, like, desolate, desolate area, <laughs> you know? It's just this 
and we had no idea. Otherwise, we would have bought some. Right. And she's like, I asked you if we needed any. You know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Thankfully, and we hit up Costco just before COVID hit. Ooh. So we had the jumbo pack, just one, but just the jumbo right. pack of TP and, and paper towel and all that. And then we sat back and watched the chaos. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, see, I would expect you to have like donated a, a, a role being the nice Canadian, right? Really? But, no, uh, that was like the joy I got. Yeah, the joy I got was like ends. watching in my community people like donating toilet paper to like that old lady who was like, I didn't get any. <laughs> like, so, like with all the bad news that was going on in the beginning of this and all the horrible stuff, like I was looking for the good and it was like the good was like people saying like, I have a roll of toilet paper, who needs it? You know, and I was just like, yeah. yes, humanity still exists. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've always been someone to try to look for the positive, though, and mm. we've actually been able to have dinner with people over Zoom. And oh, we actually cool. make, we'll make the same meal and then enjoy it all together and go, here's uh, what we did, here's what we did. And yeah, it works. I found there's um, uh, Steam games that are or Jackbox games, and oh, we'll do yeah, that yeah. over Zoom, too, and it works. We've done similar. There, there's been some like mommy nights out, which are both me and another mom friend. After the kids have gone to bed, we put the same show on Netflix on yeah. and we sit at the computer and we talk with the same thing in the background. So we that's feel right. like in the same room. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Katie, if you ever want to do that with us or anyone else, usually from 9.30 to 11, we've just got Brooklyn 99 on. So go ahead and turn it on nice. and you can feel like you're on the couch with there us. There it is, yeah. yeah. I love that show. Yes, oh, so good. Have so good. four dogs and yeah, you're on the couch with. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember, yeah. right to remain Doug Judy. Anything you Doug or Judy will be used against you in a court of Doug and Judy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little bit distracted. <laughs> Oh, I love that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You guys both have releases coming out. You've got, wait, did you already introduce director? Wait, it's director now? Okay, cool. Did we already introduce <laughs> director born, Katie? Yeah, he's moved up in the world. He's gotten a promotion. We All waited right. for you, though, because I wrote. He's got a surprise. Oh, let's, I'd like to, to hear the surprise. So I can't quite do the really high parts in the song, but. Here goes. All right. Ladies and gents, this is the moment you waited for. Ah, 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 ah. Been writing a book, but it needs just a little more. Ah, ah, ah. And buried in your bones, there's the words that you can't ignore. Taking your breath, stealing your mind, and all that was real is left behind. Jay Lavelle, J. Taylor, and Katie Salitis. Pull up a chair, grab a drink, and have some fun here with us we talk books writing and digress sometimes too much now that you know tell me do you want to go where we talk about the author biz yeah we cover almost all that there is where author dreams come true and yes that can be you this is spilling ink yes nailed it that was oh. great Yes, yes. I I am totally gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna screen grab that Katie and I'm gonna load that up as our as our intro for for these. Because yes. I think that's perfect. Well, <laughs> that's, I love that's it. amazing. I, love it. <laughs> I was just talking to my wife, I'm going, 
What song do I use for a parody this time? <laughs> yeah. That was perfect. That was great. Yeah, that was really awesome. I remember in middle school, I tried to write songs, and they were so cheesy. Like I, you know, I was like in oh, like sixth grade, like rhyming love with above, and they're like four words to a line, and I didn't have music for it. I was just like la di da, you know. But you're allowed to do that when you're younger. You're supposed to experiment and have fun. Right. But now I'm like, oh, wow. Writing music is so hard. Like, true, true mad respect for anyone who yeah. can, like, oh, yeah. write a legit, like, good song. And back then, you really knew nothing about love, but you're trying to sing and write a song about right. love. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About getting, like, dumped in kindergarten or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't share his crayon. <laughs> They didn't like my mixtape. <laughs> oh, God, the mixtape. The mixtape. <laughs> Spent hours putting the radio or the recorder up to the radio to get that one song. Yeah. Right, and then they ruin it at the very end by talking over, like, the last line. It's and we're like, why radio DJ? You know? Yeah. Oh, puppy. Oh, I know oh. that, sweetie. Aww. Yeah, Mari, Mari says she misses you girls. Oh, yeah. Oh. cuddler. Yeah, Heather. Heather went to. Uh, she dropped me off and then went to Walmart with the with the kids. And so Mari's freaked out because mom's not home. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. just shaking, poor baby. Yeah. See, and you're not the only one with bad songs. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was writing really bad love songs in my bedroom in middle school. <laughs> I wrote a I wrote a lot of really bad poetry in middle school and high school. Yeah. yeah. I think that's just you know, you've you've got all this this energy in you and it's it's trying to it's leaking out in weird ways. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a rite of passage for, for a lot of people. You it know, is. to write that bad poem in, you know, high school and be like, Oh, it has so much emotion in it, you know, and just feel like <laughs> Yeah. But if you don't go through the bad parts, you'll never get to the, the good parts. It's, it's mm -hmm. that practice yeah. makes perfect. The same applies to writing books. Your first book, go back and reread it. Oh. It generally is going to be one that you go, oh, maybe it needed more work. Even after publishing, right. you go back and look at your first writing and go, oh, compared to what you're writing now. Right. My right. wife will not let me throw out my first book. Aww. It's still, it's, it's stapled together in the corner. And, see, in high school, I used to try to write my own sequels to things. So I did like an Agent Cody Banks sequel where I wrote mm. my own new characters or like I wrote my own Spider-Man sidekick. His name was mm. Dino Man. He could transform into any dinosaur he wanted. Back then, I thought that was amazing. Now I'm like, it's so corny. Oh, my goodness. Why did I do this? I don't think it's that corny. I'm sensing a theme. Dinosaurs are, are popping up quite a bit in your writing. That's yes. hey, dinosaurs are back. Hey, and you know what's interesting? I actually, something that is linked to my book now is there has been a recent study that cousins of the Tyrannosaurus Rex actually ate vegetation. Interesting. Oh, that is interesting. So okay. maybe everything, because that's kind of what my next book's all about is what if everything we were told about dinosaurs is wrong? Ooh. Right, right. Maybe they had like an upset tummy, so they were just like eating grass to yeah. help them pee. Yeah, like other animals do. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of the night, you hear the T Rex. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, no. 
the worst sound ever. <laughs> you thought small cats were bad. Try to save them. Right. right. <laughs> Nothing will wake you up in the middle of the night faster than that sound of the cat yeah. getting ready to vomit on your bed or the carpet. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but speaking of writing, let's talk about our topic for tonight. Since we have all written books that continue on past their initial book, let's talk about series writing and let's talk about what we do, how we how we go into it, and specifically for Derek, how you end it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that was hard. <laughs> what, I, what I ended up doing, though, was because originally I had written or started to write a second trilogy. But like I said earlier, I wanted to move on to some new projects. So basically, I took elements of that next trilogy and popped it in the third book. And I was still able to weave it among the story that I already had and then somehow still find a way to give every character an ending. Okay. Right. That's kind of hard to do to make sure that, you know, all your characters' endings are, are a good place to end, very satisfying for the reader, and, yeah. and then walk away. And not every ending was a happy one, which also broke my heart. Right. How, did, how, did you, um, how did you keep yourself straight with all of that did you have like a huge chart that you were using or oh, yeah i had my on one piece of paper especially for the final battle because superheroes and spies um i had like the main character that was the linchpin and then little pops of everything else that was going on because when you watch movies like the avengers something's happening in the background while something's happening in the foreground so while this character is doing this, that character is doing that. That, oh man, <laughs> that took a lot out of me. It's hard to write out, yeah. Yeah. You don't have that visual of like you can see the yeah. two characters doing stuff. You have to write it into words. Yeah. It can be really difficult to keep track of everybody. Yeah, and I appreciate how Joss Whedon was able to do that with Avengers mm -hmm. because there was that one scene that was actually almost like a one shot where Hulk and Thor. Iron Man's flying by, Hulk and Thor are on top of that big alien whale thing. Meanwhile, Hawkeye's shooting arrows at someone and other aliens. And then you've got Black Widow doing the same thing, caps down below. And right. then finally everything ends in Grand Central Station and Hulk punches Thor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there was so much that happened within like three minutes. And you're going, right. how do you keep that all straight? Holy smokes. Right, right. So do you to guys try to do like series compendiums to like keep track of your notes and stuff? For me, it was only here for the most part. Oh, the pantser method. Yeah, I couldn't I'm definitely that. a pantser. It's, it's yeah. hard to, to do a, a lengthy series as a pantser because mm -hmm. there are so many stories, so many characters, so many arcs that have to be tied into the end, that have to be, you know, to that, that final satisfying conclusion. And if you don't have, you know, charts or things written down, you're relying on that brain and hoping that it hasn't forgotten something or missed something yep. because it will come out. A reader, readers today are so specific and they follow. Oh, yeah. And if you miss something, they're like, hey, hey, dude, what what happened here? This isn't right. Fix it. <laughs> right. And in this last book, I introduced a very much character but I still had my betas that were reading through it and they're going, okay, so I'm up to this point, but what's still happening with that one? Why did you right. introduce him or her? I'm going, 
you know what, you're just going to have to be patient with me. <laughs> but it wasn't until near the end where I actually figured out, oh, I could totally do this with this character. And that actually okay. helps finish off this other character's arc. Yeah, so. I'm kind of a mix between plotting and panting in that like, I'll do a very basic, like one thing happens in each chapter that I know for sure. And then kind of pants around that event happening. So um, I'll like, you know, get a great idea in the middle of writing and be like, oh, this leads up to this. And then, but if I don't write it down, then I totally forget to pay off in the end. <laughs> Writing is like a stone pathway. You have all the stones, but the grass fills in all the cracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty. Now, I like what Joe's saying here. He says that all movies have a great script supervisor whose sole job is to keep the continuity straight and the details right. Now, for us authors, we don't have a script supervisor. We may have beta readers. We may have an editor who will come in. But a lot of times, a single person's eye view is going to either miss something or may not see something in the same way you're seeing it. So we often have to rely on multiple points of view, multiple readers in order to really catch a lot of those mistakes. Yeah. And I think, especially when it comes to the finale of a series, there's more pressure. Oh, you got to stick the landing. Oh, yeah. You got to right? stick that landing. So, I mean, there's bigger some and better and more exciting yeah. too at the same well, time. If you don't, then you leave readers very bitter about your story. And and we can use uh, Game of Thrones as one of the most divisive, didn't stick the landing. That entire eighth season created huge rifts between the viewership, who up to that point, it was like one of the biggest, best series. Everybody loved it, didn't stick the landing. Especially it, when there's like a Starbucks cup. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it, it, it turns your fan base against you if you, you really don't provide that satisfying ending and, and don't follow through with what you set out to do. Yeah. There's yeah. a series I watched that was just amazing. Cinema like the cinematography, the acting, the writing, everything so incredible. And then the ending was just like this kind of it was a little outlandish it was like you know a little it had been done before in a major like novel series and so it was kind of supposed to be like this homage to like the Sherlock's home Moriarty thing and I was like so mad that they did this like ridiculous Moriarty ending and in this incredible series and I was just like I still, when I like see it on Netflix, I'm like, like scrolling past it so angrily, like ready What's to your... throw my remote at the TV. <laughs> oh, I don't want to give it away because it's spoilers. Because I said with the Moriarty ending stuff, but okay. I'll tell you okay. after the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's an incredible series, but I was like so mad about the ending, and I was like, you little swearing <laughs> and like ripping my hair out and all that, you know. I was like, "How dare you? Uh, How dare you?" <laughs> do you uh, do you guys think think it's tougher to write the sequels than it was to write the original, or is the original still the toughest? Hmm. I had more fun writing the second Ultimate Agent. I mean, when I've, I I've said this many times before, but I originally wrote my trilogy when I was fourteen to seventeen. So the guts were there, and now it was just me filling it with actual storyline and character flaws and all that kind of stuff. And I actually had a lot of fun rewriting characters. 
to actually make the story live because originally it, it didn't have much sustenance but this this finale it, it took a lot out of me it actually took more emotion out of me than i thought it would okay mm. i i get that because you've you've grown up with these characters you know, literally at this point, because of how long you've spent with them, they right. become real in your mind. And I think for, for authors, when we write a series, we spend so much more time getting to know these characters that they do feel like a real person. And the yeah. ending of that series is like saying goodbye. It's like when a, a friend moves away and though they're they're still technically in reach, you know you're not gonna see them as often as you saw them before. And, and that loss is felt. Yeah. Yeah, that's- there's- Sorry, go ahead, Jay. No, I, I was going to say, I I don't think I've ever really... I don't think I really feel that with fictional characters that I create. Um, I feel that way with, with books that I read, that I that I feel the loss of a... You know, when the book ends or a character dies. But um, if I have... If I've written a character that's that's based on an actual human that I know or that has a lot of their attributes, then then I get more connected. But... I don't know. Maybe I'm just really cold-hearted because the other—I mean, they're just—they're like paper people. They're—they just—they don't mean anything to me. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm, I mean, I feel like you know, when when writers, other writers will talk about how like they don't plan what the character does. They just write down. They follow that their actions and just write it down. And I definitely don't feel that way. Um, no. So I think you and me are more similar in that way, Jay. In that like. Like, I'm always like, I know I'm ultimately making the decisions for my characters of this is going to happen or, you know, they're going to do that. And like, yeah, they do take on kind of a little bit of their own persona where I will be like, oh, this doesn't feel like what they would say. Um, But I never feel that complete disconnect where they're their own person. It's always still like a part of my imagination. So I think for us, um relating to the character like you said like when we put a lot of ourselves or a lot of people we love into it then we feel really connected to the characters but we still have kind of that distance of like i know they're not really dying yeah (laughs) and you know like i'll still be like a baby about like oh this character i love him and i gotta kill him but like (laughs) when i'm talking it out i'm like yeah you died you know (laughs) when i was younger i would read books in series all the way up to the last chapter. Mm. And I would get through basically to the climax, but I would never get through the goodbye portion, you know, the the Mm -hmm. complete resolution and ending of a story. Because then in my mind, I didn't finish it. The character's story is still going on. I just, I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's such a sweet thing. (laughs) Because I do, I connect with characters, not just the ones I write, but the ones that I, I really read and follow, especially the long series. I don't oh, want yeah. it to end. I don't want to say goodbye to them. So I, I tend to do that. I stop before the end and then it's, it hasn't ended yet. Yeah. Reading, I feel more connection to, cause it's not a part of my head. It's not a part of my imagination. You know, it's somebody else that I, that I really like feel connected to them, but like writing like, a, yeah, there is a little bit of distance between me and the characters. Cause like, I also know, like, ultimately I'm doing this to them. So I got to like find a way to be okay with it. So <laughs> and what Amanda says is very true because uh, the one comment that was just up there. Oh, right here. No yep. matter what you write for each character, that character is a part and piece of you. So essentially, you're saying goodbye to a part of yourself. 
Right. And I think mm -hmm. that's really hard, especially yeah. for this finale, a lot of my characters are reeling from the death of a certain character. Hmm. So to even get in the mindset of each different character and how they're responding to that, that was a bit emotionally draining, personally yeah. for me. Along with that, we've got a, a comment from Joe. He's asking, did you do anything special when you wrote the last word in your series or to say goodbye to your characters? Cried. Uh, well, I think that you're supposed to have a glass of a certain kind of champagne <laughs> and then a single cigarette and one match. Um, and then you burn the whole ma the whole manuscript on the on the grill next to you. <laughs> you have pyre. You gotta you know have a funeral for them and send them off to the the gods. Um, I well I try to celebrate every book I write. So I'll have like a special dinner. We'll go out and treat ourselves, or like we'll make a cake or do something just like so I can like I'm all about celebrating my wins. So when I finish a novel, big deal to me, and I'm like, woo, let's go get food, you know. Um, it was more emotional for me to finish my last, um, the last book in the series. Um, but I don't know that I did anything extra special. I was just like, did my usual, you know, I kind of had my like quiet moment at the keyboard. And then like, then I was like, okay, let's celebrate the end of a series. You know, like it was a really big accomplishment for me. And I tried to focus on the positive of that rather than like, thinking about how sad, like, I'll never write these characters again. Like, I'll, I, I'm getting weepy just thinking about, <laughs> about it. When, when one yeah. book closes, many more open. Right, you try to think, like, positively, like, the yeah. next book, you know, I get to explore a new character and get to know them. I find that very exciting. So, like, mm -hmm. that helps me to kind of get over that, like, closure of the last book and just be like, well, now I get to find out all about this new character that I've been dreaming about writing for the last six months. So, you know, it's exciting in that way. Well, and I think that some some of you who, who write a lot of series, and, and I don't write uh, much in series, but I think that some of you take the 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 secondary characters or more minor minor characters from previous books and kind of explore those a little bit more right so it, it's almost yeah. like you're still continuing that story but just in a in another person's uh and, and uh, it's a wonderful way to continue because you do get to peek in on your original characters lives a little and kind of tell people where they are what they're doing but because you're focusing on the new character you're you're actually exploring another character a little bit more in depth, so you don't feel the loss as much, and you have that excitement of new character, new adventure, yay! Yeah, right. And actually, with some of the new books that I'm planning, they are subtly linked to the nice. alternate universe. Oh, you're doing like a Stephen King universe thing where all the other characters yeah. get mentioned. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just because when I started writing of the myths and legends and monsters that the the agents kind of come across like one of them's bigfoot and i introduced mm -hmm. a a little boy bigfoot <laughs> a little foot if you will <laughs> and uh his name's frederick and i kind of thought you know what'd be interesting is writing a book about a bigfoot that wants to enter society mm -hmm. and what would happen from his point of view Right. With other ones like the Mothman, I thought, what would happen if sh they actually made it back home from where they came from? Okay. Yeah. And time's gone past. What happened to their family? What happened to this? So I'm kind of, I've got all these little things 
that are just woven together. I like that. I want to know what food you eat for your brain to operate so well that you remember all these little connections. <laughs> a lot of olive oil. As, as organic <laughs> as possible. <laughs> I've been trying to eat fish and blueberries, and I'm just still. Yep. You need the healthy fats. You need the healthy fats, and your brain yeah. actually needs carbs to operate properly. Okay. Is a pizza, is that considered a healthy oh, yeah. fat? Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good deal, yeah. good deal. Homemade dough and everything. Now, Director uh, Bourne, your your books are all based in some version of our reality, right? Yep. With with yep. the the supernatural elements included. Uh, it, I come at them from a sci-fi point of view. That not all of them have like a you know a demon background or whatever kind of thing, but I try to go okay. How would this scientifically be explained and what can i take some liberties on do you do you think it's it's easier to write grounded in reality like that because we already know our world or do you prefer to i mean have you have you written where you're creating your own world uh basically yeah i i mean there's there's some things that i threw in my books like you've got adamantium and vibranium and marble so i came up with my own mineral called galaxidium and basically galaxidium allows my um techie hero to teleport that's cool really cool and it's able to do other things as the series goes on i think that that's okay. a good way to approach things when you you ground the basis of your story in a believable reality that, that we can understand and then blend in new elements. You, you give people that basis that they can grasp onto. They can easily understand the, the basics of your story and these new elements become interesting and they, they can be curious about them and want to learn more. And that creates that need to want to read and find out what happens and how they're used. And as long as you give them enough to go, okay, yeah, I believe in a giant rage monster. You know, well, you gotta make other things believable so they'll buy into those big stories. Yeah. Well, we've had a big green monster in in our history, fantasy history, for years. We've had Godzilla. Yeah. So he's a believable right. element because so many people know the stories, and and a lot of these, uh, I think they're called cryptids. Is that the proper term yeah. for them? Are are stories that people do know a lot about, and so they still it's it's not real in our reality, but it's real enough because the stories are so familiar to people. Yeah. Well, and, and it's I, like I you think... were saying earlier. Sorry, Jay. No, it's a, go ahead, Derek. I was just going to say the fact that you guys were telling stories of people who thought they saw the Michigan dog man, like, is it real? Is it not? <laughs> well, and I, I think that in general, most of the time people who hear stories about, you know, the various cryptids um, actually want to believe they're real, even if they're in their, in their brain or their hearts, they, they really don't believe it. I think that a lot of them want to believe it. So when they pick up a story that, is based in reality, um, is based in a situation that they can relate to, but there's that, you know, that creepy element. It it makes it easier for them to get in, kind of like Katie was saying. And I don't know, I like that too. And I like to write that. I like to ground my my stories here on on in on our earth. Um, but when I was growing up, I, I read a lot of Piers Anthony and 
that's all in the magical land of Xanth, which is really Florida with magic. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I absolutely loved it. But you know, I find nowadays if I pick up a if I pick up a, an epic fantasy or some kind of I, I don't know all my fantasy terms, Katie, some kind of fantasy that doesn't take place in our land, something mm-hmm. like that. I have a really tough time getting into it because I'm, I'm spending half the book trying to figure out what this land looks like and, and what it's like. And then I can pay attention to the characters. So it, it's, it's a little tougher for me, but I'm also, I'm old and don't look at me <laughs> like that director born. You're like 30. And the, uh, the foreign that, that can really make a reader want to dive deeper. But just like Jay's saying, for readers who want that total escapism, there are books out there. And the epic fantasy is great for that because it does create an entirely new world that they can escape to. Do you know what the exception I was for like... me recently? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I read, uh, and you've heard me talk about this just because I loved it so much, uh, Starless, the book by Jacqueline Carey, which is an an epic fantasy that's just one novel, and it's like a normal-length novel, actually. Um, and that was one that is not grounded in our reality, but I was able to, I was really able to, to pick it up, or I don't know, assimilate or something uh, pretty quickly. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because she's a really damn good storyteller or, or what, but that was one that was really relatable for me. But some of them are just, are really tough, especially when they take place on different planets. Um, that's especially hard for me. Well, and sci-fi, there's different versions of sci-fi, just like there's different versions of fantasy. You have some that stick more to the tried and true, um, believable, realistic technological, technological advances. And then you have some that are completely out there on the other side with as much craziness as you can think of. And they still try and, and make it true enough for readers to accept that these are our future elements. Let's face it, Wizard of Oz, they just said, okay, let's see what hits the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wizard of Oz is all based off of stuff, though, you know, like it's yeah. all analogies. And, and so there's some crazy thoughts that go into like this fantastical world, but it's still like got ties to our world. And I was just going to say earlier that like I am a lot like Jay in that I love writing in our world, but kind of having that hidden magical world like inside of it that kind of peels back for the reader. And like, um, I, I, I think one of my early attempts at a novel was one of those epic high fantasy magical lands places. And I got to 40,000 words and I kind of stopped and never finished it. Um, and I think that like a lot of that is because now I do prefer to like have it, the magic world in our everyday world. Like I love that kind of everyday magic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that too. I like the, the hidden world underneath our own that mm-hmm. only certain people are able to access. Yeah. That, that's a fun way to approach things. Joe <laughs> asked a really good question though. Hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi. And oh, yeah. see hard sci-fi like Michael Crichton, if you ever read his books, he goes in depth on the science. I think oh, yeah. it was the, Androm- the Andromeda strain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, ha- yeah. I had to skip chapters and yeah. get back to the action just because he was, I'm going, yeah. I'm I mean, trying to do like the, all the brain work from dude had it down. Russell Crowe. Well, and if you, if you ever actually read Jurassic Park, I mean, yeah. I mean you read that book and you believe 
okay, we can make dinosaurs. This shit's gonna happen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, yep. He, he, he was a. Uh, you know, you know who I really, really enjoy. Um, and and Joe, this is actually to your question. And it's it's uh, for once not up, off topic for me, but I really enjoy James Rollins. Um, James Rollins writes um, action thrillers uh, about Sigma Force. It's kind of a paramilitary science officer kind of thing, and they go around and save the world. But there's a lot of there's a lot of science fiction, and you know it's science fiction, but there's also enough facts in there that you really believe it. You really believe this stuff can happen. Right. And I absolutely love that. It's, it's enough that I don't have to think real hard. I mean, I can enjoy myself, but it's smarter than Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So it's like... <laughs> Uh, before well, the show I started, mean, we were talking about uh, like the Trek universe and and other yeah. sci-fi shows that are very mm -hmm. popular, and and the Expanse is the one that comes to mind for me as being a believable futuristic sci-fi that that really tries hard to to make readers think that this can happen. Right. Well, I was going to say even um, Jay's book Pathosis, like when 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 they talk about the bugs and the and the viruses and the character's knowledge is so intricate and you're like, Oh my gosh, whoever wrote this did their research. Like I know their stuff. <laughs> and you know, and that, that's what I love about it. Like a good sci-fi when you're like, Oh, you can, it's not like big info dumps of like, Oh, here's all the facts that I learned while I was researching this book, but you can tell that they actually like did put care and attention and they, they actually knew like, you know, there's, two different types of arachnids and one of them, you know, does this and one of them does that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm learning stuff that I didn't know, but it makes the book so much more believable because you're like, this could happen. And the whole time you're reading your skin is crawling because you're like, oh my God, there's bugs on It was all a trick to get everybody to learn about spiders and the different types of pathogens. So that's all it was. Today's Thank you, though, Julia. I Great. <laughs> no, I, when I was reading that book, I was like looking around for spiders, but it was also like so fascinating because <laughs> you were just like, these facts are like so true, though. Like, you know, like, oh my God. <laughs> it just made but, the yeah. world real to me. And then that was like the worst thing that could happen because like I used to be terrified of spiders. So I'm like, now spiders are more real to me. And now I'm going to be terrified. Oh, I'm of them really again. terrified. Yeah. <laughs> It, you know, it's it's funny is that you know in the, in that book the the spiders were kind of the the harbinger of 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 death. You know, they they brought uh, nasty stuff um, to the rest of society. But it was right around the time that I was writing that book that I really stopped being afraid of spiders. You know, they they became more more fascinating to me than anything. And and so now. You know, if you, you know, if you turn your head and look and there's a spider, I'll still be startled because there's something there, but they really don't bother me. You know, I, I picked one up just earlier today out of my wife's car and, and tossed it out on the ground because I didn't want her to squish it when she got in the car later. Um, but it's just like, you know, they, you know, one, I think that once you, you expose yourself enough to a certain subject or a certain thing, it, it kind of, it loses some of that mysticism and maybe some of the fear you you uh, once had for it. That's not an, true in all trauma situations, and especially if there's a, you know, complex PS, uh, PTSD involved, you know, that's that's a whole different ball game. But, you know, I, I think that learning about anything makes it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more, a little bit easier to digest. Uh, so when sure. are you getting a, a pet uh, tarantula, Jake? 
You know, we actually had uh, several tarantulas living with us for for a while. I did a yeah, I, I did a, a photo shoot with a, with a young model, um, you know, in Grand Rapids is just a little ways away from here. Um, and, and so she, she actually had spiders crawling on her for the photo shoot. Oh, it was wow. pretty cool. And then... Yeah, um, amazing photo, but terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so then um, after that, the spiders just lived with us for a few weeks and uh, one of them went back to its original owner, and and then the uh, the model actually called me up and said, hey, "I'd really like to adopt one of these tarantulas." And I say, "Okay." Oh, yeah. So we we arranged for for her to have that tarantula. But yeah, cool. and then now I just met met another lady who uh, breeds tarantulas here in Holland, and she lives one street away from me. So I'm like, "Cool, well, nice." I might have yeah. to make something happen here because she's got some. Uh, <laughs> She's got some of the legit big ones, you know, the size of your hand oh. ones. And I would love to get a hold of one of those for a, a photo shoot. What were we no, talking geez. about? <laughs> now, if there's ever an outbreak, we know where they came from. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did just watch a, a documentary on biohacking. So, you know, give me a tarantula and some, you know, oh, enzymes. Oh, stuff's going on over there now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Marvel's already covered this. There is a villain with the name Tarantula. <laughs> oh, yeah, they've covered just about everything, I think. Almost. Yeah. Oh, so well, every story's been told, right? It's just how That's you true. tell the new one. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so, Julia, I, I haven't read any of your books. <laughs> I, would, I would really like to know a little bit more about uh, this new one because you, you have Angelborn, yeah. Demonkind, and now Half-Blood Alliance. Yeah, so the first series is Angelborn, Heavenfire, and Demonkind. Um, so um, in in my Angelborn universe, um, there when the first demon was created, it's a fallen angel. When the first demon was created, an angel uh, went and got a mandate from you know the heavens or whatever it's not a religious book it just um, plays with mythology and religion and stuff so he gets permission to father children um, to protect humanity from the demon kind and and different um, spawn that demons create so the first um, series she doesn't know that she is angel born or half angel until she turns 16 and she gets a demon mark and it kind of activates her powers and she you know stuff happens and she's thrown into this world she didn't know existed so it's kind of like we're discovering the world with her and it's really exciting um this one she grows up with her father the whole time um and and then begins training with weapons and moving into the alliance house and Angelborn are no longer a big secret. The government knows about them and, you know, they help to protect humans. They have human li liaisons with the, the public, uh, uh, with the government, with the media and all that. Um, so it's kind of, I get to make the world more complex as I'm going in this series. Um, and the character is also, it's not me, obviously, <laughs> but she's half Korean like I am. And so there's a lot of culture and like little bits that I get to put in that that's really is, is a lot of fun for me to write because it's like, you know, my, you know, mom making a big Korean dinner and her having her friends come over and try it. And it's kind of like, you know, at getting to know the personality of the character and getting to know like her new friends and all that stuff was really exciting 
for me to write. So I really love this series already, even though it's only book one. Um, you're having an exciting night over there. <laughs> I don't know what we're celebrating. I, I don't know, Labor Day, maybe? It's a long weekend for me up here. <laughs> what? Yeah. Julia, you were just talking about demons. Let me show you something that I saw earlier today. Okay. Find it. Uh, maybe. Do you involve the Nephilim in your book? Um, so uh, the Nephilim become these, uh, there's there's a mythology that 10%, you know, the flood killed the Nephilim. And so 10% became uh, these angry spirits that want to experience life again. And so they possess people. So that features in the first series and maybe in the second series. Um, so that's the role they play as kind of these possessive spirits um, that cause havoc. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've done I've, my Bible research, so I know a few things. Oh, I'll have to maybe hit you up after the show. And <laughs> yeah. What's interesting, actually, is Halloween lands around the same time the flood occurred. Oh, that's really interesting. If, when, you, when you line things up, actually, because it's interesting, because basically when the, demon, or the angels fell from heaven and, and became the Nephilim and all that, um, when the flood came and killed the Nephilim and their children and everything, it's basically because it lines up with Halloween and we celebrate the dead and you know witches and demons and all that, it's because they still feel for the loss of their families that they have. Mm hmm and it is quite interesting when you go through history and every all the dates actually do line up around that time. Oh, that is really, that's fascinating, yeah. That's also yeah, I'm definitely going to hit you up when after the show. Yeah. <laughs> be like, let's talk some mythology. Yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be the day when the, the veil between the living the and the dead and the, finest, mm -hmm. and the spirits can potentially cross over. But when you actually uh, correlate certain scriptures within the Bible, there are no spirits after death. So, interesting. yeah, at least from the research I've done. Interesting. That is really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I grew up going going to a school in the and Catholic school, and oh, my too. my best friend. Yeah, I I know you did too, Katie. Uh, but my best friend Luke and I would uh, whenever we'd have sleepovers or anything, we'd stay up late talking about. Um, kind of the the mythologies of the of the church and and all the the old histories and but it's always the creepy stuff you know <laughs> we were never talking about Jesus as our Lord and Savior we were like what if this demon came up and we somehow summoned him and he burned <laughs> down the school for us I, I don't know. oh and funny story and I and I can tell you this now because it's the statue had, uh, of limitations has long since passed and Luke is Luke is dead now so he, he can't be held culpable. Um, but when we were I think we were must have been 15 years old, there was an old abandoned schoolhouse you know like one of the one room schoolhouse tiles right. It was like a you know a country block from my house and his house and so we would meet there and we would bring little Tupperware containers filled with our parents' liquor that we had, had pilfered. And so we'd, we'd drink out of these little Tupperware containers. And then one day 
he got a hold of a couple of cigarettes somehow. And so we smoked these cigarettes. It was awful. And <laughs> we left that night. The schoolhouse burnt to the ground. So, <gasps> oh, no. And it was it was blamed on on a on a lightning strike. But in my head to this day, I'm like, oh my god, we must have like thrown a cigarette oh, out from an old schoolhouse <laughs> and burned this fucking thing down. And so it's like, oh, if I wasn't already going to hell, you know, I'm <laughs> burning down schoolhouses. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I don't know. Do I mean do cigarettes like catch fires that quick? I mean, like, I, well, maybe in old stuff because now now stuff is more like fire retardant than it used to be. But yeah, well, I, I, I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like it'd be really tough for a cigarette to catch something on fire. But I mean, like, like maybe if it was like fluffy and tindery. And right. Right. I don't know. I and guess you maybe. spilled some of your parents' liquor on it. <laughs> My friends, dad and I used to work. Yeah. My dad and I used to work in insurance restoration. And I remember we had to go to a house and board it up because this old guy had been smoking and he fell asleep on his couch and he just let his hand fall to the couch and yeah. basically burnt his entire lower half of him and most yeah. of the house. So oh. it could happen. Anything that's, that's flammable can create the, uh, the mm -hmm. ignition for the flames. So yeah, mm -hmm. I remember there was a movie that it was the um, the arsonist. It was a serial arsonist would take a, a lit cigarette and a little piece of paper and fold the cigarette in the paper and paper clip a match to it. So when when it burned down to a certain point, the match would light, the paper would catch oh. on fire, and whatever he had oh, placed how, it yeah. would would burn. Yeah, hmm. and I always remember thinking, oh, that just seems so genius. Yeah. A war zone where you're at. My Thanks. goodness. My dogs are losing their fucking minds inside. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, mom's not home to keep them calm either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Goodness. I don't know. Um, I Aww. this just like occurred to me earlier as like little pet peeves for like horror stuff and like when people don't do their research on like stuff, but like the whole pentacle versus like the reverse pentacle thing. I'm like, you know, the, the, you know, the symbol of the pentacle is the four elements of earth and then your spirit, which is pointing up. So I hate when you, you see a regular pentacle and they're like, Oh, Satanism. And it's like, no, it's not pointing down to hell, you know? So it's not Satanism. And I'm just like, it's a regular pentagram guys. Like <laughs> what if you're standing on the other end of it? Doesn't it point the opposite way then? Well, I mean, like, but usually, like, 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 they'll like to have it drawn on a body or something, and so it'll okay. have like the star pointing up, and I'm like, that's just regular, you know, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, the, the spirit pointing to heaven, you know. So, speaking of things being the wrong way and drawn on bodies, have <laughs> any of you re read uh, Rising Sun? By, uh, I believe that was Michael Creighton, actually, since we were talking about Creighton. In that, they find a dead body, and on the dead body, tattooed on the dead body's penis, is a question mark. And nobody could figure out why the hell there was a question mark on this dead body. And it was later revealed, hilariously, that when you stretch out the question mark, it becomes an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, he had a medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that note, <laughs> I know we end the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, we got to turn it to Derek to tell us about his series before we run out of time and 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 give us the the finale. Well, don't spoil it, but give us no. the lead up to the finale. No. Where the second ultimate agent will left off. Jesus. Those are spies in the background. I'm saying it right now. <laughs> uh, at the end of the second novel, a character dies. And so the third book is about the organization reeling from this death. And other things happen that are kind of being a detriment towards the spy agency. Meanwhile, other crazy stuff's happening, and it's just, you've got emotions, you've got action, and it's so hard not to spoil things. Did you cry at the end? I cried. The happy thing that I had with this series, though, was after my beta readers read it, they said, that was the perfect ending. And that's yeah. all That's yes. all I wanted. That's what so, you need. You stuck the landing for your readers. They're going to be so. satisfied that then you did the series justice. I'm yeah. still going to be stressed for the the public, but <laughs> now that's going to be we'll hard see. too because you're 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 promoting and talking about a series you know is at the end. Mm -hmm. It's the last time you're going to be promoting the series this aggressively because yeah. books don't have an expiration date. You will always have reason to promote them. Yeah, but promoting the end of the series that, that's kind of bittersweet. Yeah. What's the release date for that, uh, Derek? September 29th. Okay. So we're 20, oh man, 24 days. If you're, if you're up for it, we should have you come do a, um, come do a, just a, a one-on-one -on -one show where you do a reading from the book and then maybe talk about it a little bit if you're up for something like that. I would love to. Would I have to do the first book or? Whatever you want, man. That's your book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would say you read about Bigfoot or the Loch Ness or. <laughs> uh, yeah. See, Amanda knows. The whole so sky is falling. No spoilers. Yeah. No, wasn't, yeah. uh, doesn't Amanda write, write with you as well? So interesting thing, actually. Amanda is a poet as well. Um, and she wrote a poem of one character's reaction basically to a character she was really close with the character that died at the end of the second book so i asked her i said can i use that poem as the prologue for book three and she said yes so Aww. i was able to do almost like a smaller version of a co-write which i actually it was all her so not really a co-write i don't know what i'm talking about but she had that i also had my co-writer that I had for Michigan Dogman, she wrote a letter from one of her characters that was in the Michigan Dogman to a character in my book of his reaction to said character's death. Just to kind oh, of- Oh, so you got also, Easter eggs in there. That's nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's and that's cool. all I'm going to say. Anything more than that is I'm I'm going to have uh, a few people asking questions. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. All right. That's it. No more spoilers. It was <laughs> that that was that was Homelander that died, right? In... Homelander? Yeah. 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 I haven't started season two yet. Oh. Okay. 
I, I haven't either. I, I've I've seen it on there, but I was like, oh man, it was so intense. But I, oh, yeah, I can't get into it. We don't have time to get into that show. <laughs> All the boys, oh, we are, we are the boys, the boys, the boys. We we could all talk about that one. That, that's an interesting spinoff. I like what they did with that. Yeah, no, yep. your spy agency, at least they're a lot better people, though. Than <laughs> they the try law. to be. They try to be. <laughs> Through thick and thin, even if the government's against them. Oh. Well, well, that was an hour. That went pretty fast. Didn't it, though? Yeah. Even though we were under fire the whole time. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> And have little pieces of fireworks all over the backyard again. And oh, exciting! Yeah, right under your pillow. All right. Well, before we go, we've got to give uh, we've got to pay some homage to our other wonderful sponsor, which is Miss Wonderful Rebecca Jonesy, who is the author of Realistic Fantasies, both sexy and killer, and she is such a wonderful supporter of the show. She is here every single episode in the comments, giving us uh, our lovely cattle prodding as we need it. <laughs> And of course, all of the links for everyone we've mentioned, including our wonderful guests, will be in our show notes on both Facebook and on YouTube. So if you're looking for a way to contact them, it'll be there. And I, I just want to add real quick, too, that uh, for those of you who, who don't know them personally or, or haven't seen them on a show before, uh, Derek and Julia are, are really two of the, the kindest people um, I know that, that we work with. They, they really are just really awesome, wholesome people. So um, the, the kind of people we love having on here. So thank you Jay, so much for coming on again. You can't say things like that and I can't hug you. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I miss hugs so much. Oh, me too. Oh. I love hugs, I do. Uh, but seriously, you two are you two are amazing. We, we just love having you guys. So, you can't right. see it. This lighting, but I'm like bright red right now. There you go. There you go. Just hug hug for me. Imagine Just that. Me a hug hug for right me. There. Yeah. I, I wish I was Kermit. Where's my wife? Uh oh. Wait, wait. What's happening? <laughs> I don't like where this is going. This is a late hour show. It gets a little steamy. Hold on. Uh, all the regular viewers sign off now. All the late night viewers. <laughs> the one night I actually hid Kermit under the covers and she went to open the covers and Kermit was just laying there. <laughs> <Ooh>. Legs, legs <laughs> crossed. <laughs> so everybody, thank you so much for watching. You know, like like the video, share it, uh, go and check out uh, uh, Go Indie Now. Um, it, it's a great network of shows. Uh, Joe really does a fantastic job, and he works his ass off uh, for the for the indie artist community. So check him out. Check out Rebecca Rebecca Jonesy's books on uh, threefuriescrest.com. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Until next time. <laughs>